we'd kick off this uh, episode with a brief um, criticism or review of the song Dumb by Nirvana uh, for legal reasons with a smidge of parody uh, and or pastiche. Um, So yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think it's a pretty good song. Um, However, for a song being about being dumb, I feel like they could have incorporated the phrase um, low IQ a bit more, and I feel that would have been an improvement. Song could have been a little dumber. It could have been even stupider. Yeah. So um, having gotten that out of the way, um, you want to uh, jump into this week's Libtard Take of the Week? Yes, so my uh, lip hard take of the week um, is uh, the trailer for Hillary and Chelsea Clinton's new um, <laughs> documentary, I guess, show they're doing. It's called Guts. It's called okay, Guts. here we go. Did not mean to play it <laughs> yet. I will be, I will be playing it. Uh, <laughs> see how it comes out on the sound. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, so let's just, uh, I'm just going to do kind of a verbal description and then just play a few like little clips of it. So in the first scene, Hillary Clinton, I'm guessing this is, this is Chappaqua. Um, she's jumping in her, uh, a really fancy looking car that Chelsea is driving. Um, and then we hear this. We're hitting the road to shine a light on women who inspire us to be bolder and braver. Leadership. Um, immediately there's a flash of like a lot of different celebrities, including Goldie Hawn. Um, and someone who I can't tell. Oh, it's Kate Hudson. Okay, it's Kate Hudson. Nice. I thought it was Portia de Rossi. Anyway, um, <laughs> another woman who I don't recognize is also uh, I'm moving a, a burning bush of sage around Hillary Clinton's face. Oh, my Her eyes God. are closed in a peaceful, kind of somber uh, mode. All right, let's keep going. It doesn't look one way. It's a giant rainbow. You're not gonna break me down. You get worn out before I do. Women who put. Um, the next few shots is uh, Hillary talking with Megan the Stallion, um, and then Chelsea Clinton is taking a fire hose from a, a black female firefighter and putting out a fire somewhere that we don't, that is off screen. We don't see. Oh, hell yeah. I thought you were saying that she was like, you got this. And make us laugh. I'm in deep 
Georgia, and they might have never met a Muslim. Or they don't know they have. Or they don't know they have, because we walk among you. <laughs> That's the, that right there was the, did you hear that? Uh, oh, I heard it. I didn't understand what was happening. That was the fun. That was the that's the funniest joke they have in the trailer. <laughs> a woman goes, "We walk among you," referring to herself as a Muslim. Um, and at the table, the only person I recognized was Amy Schumer. <laughs> um, I'll just play a little bit more because I don't know how much of it I can take. But let's let's keep going. <laughs> You have a marriage that has been on public display since the beginning. You said the gutsiest thing you ever did was stay in your marriage. That doesn't mean that's right for everybody. Address the pedophilia uh, accusations right up top in the commercial. Uh, they bring up Bill. <laughs> oh, no. I'm sure they moved past that really fast. <laughs> she says the gutsiest thing she ever did was stay in her marriage. Oh, my God. Um, now she's talking to that 19-year-old Native American model. I can't remember her name. To throw someone's life away when people really do make changes. All right. And now the next interview seems to be with uh, Kim Kardashian. Um, and the press, the press they're doing for this, because I've seen a lot of press about it emerging the last two days, is kind of like, uh, well, first they make a joke that Kim Kardashian apparently won in a legal battle with Hillary Clinton, like a legal, like legal off. They did some sort of like game and uh, Kim Kardashian answered 14 of the questions right first, like before Hillary. Wow. It was like, who could hit the button first? You know what I mean? She was, oh, okay. But she, so she was like a self-taught lawyer, right? She's in law school. She did her own research. Oh, okay. She's currently in law school right now, apparently. I don't really know. I see. Yeah. (laughs) So, um, so yeah. So I just have noticed this. Okay. So yeah. Anyway, that was just a little fun little tidbit. I just thought this was funny to see it kind of rolled out across social media over the last, uh, like two days. Um, calling it gutsy is, is so funny. Um, (laughs) I think it's a big L for feminism, which is having a, a rough moment in general. Yeah. Um, I think feminism is sort of like out right now, and this isn't going to help usher it back in. Uh, I was kind of laughing at the idea that like the whole premise of the show is them driving across the country, although I'm sure they're taking private jets to all the <laughs> locations. And then like talking to these mostly extremely wealthy like women in their um, estates. So (laughs) I don't, I don't know. I mean, I think there's a level of wealth. This is probably a really unpopular opinion, uh, but I have heard, I have women friends who have expressed this. um, And I do think there's a level of wealth you reach where maybe sexism is more theoretical than uh, literal in your life. I've, I've heard, I've heard women say that before <laughs> and I think that that's possibly true. Um, and if anyone has reached that level, it's, it might, it might be Hillary Clinton. Um, I'm going to go controversial, controversially say that. Um, I also just thought I would point this out because I think it's sort of a soft, I think we're sort of soft opening Hillary for 2024. Um, yeah. I mean, they're trying, they're really trying. Yeah, I mean, everything, they're lining everything up. It's like Hillary is at the Met Gala looking like a brothel madam. And then (laughs) 
like Hillary is, uh, you know, uh, doing this show and, uh, you know, no one's ruled her out for 2024. Huma's dating Bradley Cooper. I mean, that seems, you know, just they're kind of lining them up for like getting getting back into the public spotlight and like being like less disgraced. So we'll see where that goes. Um, I had a friend today I was talking to about it and she was like, I don't really know what Hillary Clinton's politics are besides wanting to be president. And I'm like, <laughs> I think that. I think that is uh, her only politics. I will also say the last thing I want to say before I pass it over to you for your libtar take of the week is the the New York Times. I'm pretty sure for the first time ever published the word libtard. Really? Yeah. And we're going to have to maybe use something different because I feel like they're really trying to (laughs) co-opt. Yeah. But they did a profile of this woman, Caitlin Phillips, which was really annoying. It was like very much like she's the coolest person in New York right now. Although it's like really unclear, like what her job is or like what she (laughs) even like does. Um. And, you know, it's like all the same. Uh, yeah, it's like all, it's like all the same people who have kind of sort of been orbiting like recently, like getting more and more mainstream press, like the Red Scare Girls. And, you know, it's like it's like all it's all that. It's all that. Anyway, in the article, they published the word libtard, not as The New York Times describing something as <laughs> libtard. <Lip-tarded. laughs> someone says uh, someone says both. Um, she probably would like to be someone says the word libtard in an interview. And then another person says this I, speaking about this Caitlin Phillips girl is I'm sure she would think it was funny if you called her fascist adjacent. Um, so I don't know. I just want to, we'll maybe do a whole episode on that, but I'm seeing this (laughs) sort of, I'm seeing this sort of like reactionary, right. Being like, you know, more and more co-opted in a way that I, I, I like, like, as you pointed out rightly, like starting with the Atlantic article that I think could easily become, um, yeah, its own kind of defanging of whatever is actually interesting about it. So, yeah, I mean, they're always going to try to do that. But then it's like at the same time, like every person who's like part of this, whatever sort of emergent movement, which includes a lot of different people, including a lot of like uh, ex libtards we all know that the New York times is completely full of shit. So it's not like, like, I, I mean, I guess they have to try to like, you know, uh, co-opt that, uh, you know, this movement and, and acknowledge the changing environment, but good luck. That's all I have to say. The, the last thing I'll say is they really do cuck themselves because <laughs> the New York times itself, because they actually publish, um, one of her friends writes or her, one of her ex-boyfriends again, I don't know who literally I cannot tell you what this woman's job is. I have no <laughs> idea, but they, I guess emailed one of her ex-boyfriends and he was like, I'm sure whatever Caitlin said is true. She's a lovely woman. I can't say the same thing about the New York times period. <laughs> so whoever this, whoever this bro is like got a like diss in on the New York times, which they decided to publish, which to I guess publish, they, yeah. Yeah. So I don't know if that's like a, yeah, that just seemed like a little bit of like a self cuck moment. 
<laughs> yeah, I mean this this whole like legacy media uh, environment is interesting. I think they uh, they must know on some level that there's only just a tiny percent of the population that really like follows them anymore. And uh, oh I my think God, could you imagine your parents reading the article I just described? <laughs> Like they would have no idea. Like, like I'm imagining like my parents reading it. They would have no idea what was. No, yeah. They would have no reference point to even begin to. They would have no idea what was happening. Yeah, I barely, I barely understand what's happening. I don't really understand who this person is. Uh-huh. I'm like, is she a writer? Is she an artist? Like. Well, that's probably, I mean, this person could be, maybe not even be anybody. And they're just, you know, like they're trying to say like this person represents this and then they can use them and say that they said this and that. Those are what they did throughout COVID and all this stuff where they have experts, be like experts say, and then they just talk to like one random doctor or whoever and then, you know, get a quote from them and then make it seem like this is all experts say. It's like the the inverse of that. Yeah. And (laughs) oh my God, let me read one more line from it. If she, uh, in 2017, this is her ex-boyfriend again. In 2017, Mr. Habib suggested that, that she, that she take a look at her unpaid student loan debt, which was growing fast from neglect. He made a deal with her. If she would reveal personal vulnerability by saying she needed a job on social media, (laughs) he would match her loan payments. So she did. Like what, what is up with that? <laughs> Again, I don't this know. Is, this person is not real. This person is like a fed or like just some like rich kid who is, I, this is not a real person. Yeah. I, again, it's like that thing with Curtis Yarvin, who I guess he is like a real person and people like him, but I had never heard of him before. It's like they just drag somebody out of the woodwork and be like, this person represents the movement, you know? Yeah, she dropped out of Barnard. I don't, there's just a lot. It, it seems really fake. It's like really like, I don't know. They describe her as something like a mix of Ariana Huffington, Al Sharpton, and Donald Trump. Oh my God. She apparently carries a Blackberry around, like purposefully. A blackberry. They do say that the biggest controversy she had was she was uh, she ridiculed COVID restrictions. So I guess, but again, like I don't know who this person. Like yeah. that's the whole, like, the whole thing is like it's it's like you're right. It just seems like a really fake. Like yeah, who who the fuck knows who she is or why that why they're trying to use her? Um, yeah, controlled anyway. opposition. Yeah, yeah. Boy, yeah. Wow. I hadn't seen, I do not uh, subscribe to the New York Times. So I do. I'll keep you updated. Stuff. Yeah. Um, I used to subscribe to the Wall Street Journal, but then they just uh, thinking that they, imagining that they were like somehow less cucked than the New York Times. But then I, I realized eventually that they're not and just unsubscribed from that too. Um, okay. So my libertardedest take of the week is, um, actually not from Twitter or social media. This is actually my, um, company's new COVID policy that they issued 
today, actually. You can't say that this is like outdated or something because it was literally, I, I got the email today. I'm not going to say what company I work for, but um, obviously it's But neither ridiculous. of us are ever going to say where we work, where exactly we live, <laughs> or, the, or our own full names or the names of any one in our immediate family. So just <laughs> get, get used to that level of... <laughs> um, but so basically, are you aware of these like, oh God, CDC community risk levels? Yes. Yeah, like low, medium, high, and then apparently high plus, which I don't know what that means, and I didn't know it existed until this. That's funny. But, they should um, have a high plus and like a diet high. <laughs> yeah. Um. So then it's it, it the 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 rules change based on like what category you're in, and like Chicago, for example, has not has just alternated between medium and high for months and months. It's never low. And I, I don't, to my knowledge, it's never been high plus either. But the metrics are just rigged so that it's always medium or high. But anyways, this policy, the rules change based on what community level risk level your office is in. And it show it the rules are different for vaccinated and unvaccinated i guess despite like the cdc just issuing new guidelines saying that you shouldn't there's no reason to treat vaccinated and unvaccinated differently but but, okay which i I do think is there which i do think is their soft open to like dealing with like the myocarditis like i think they're starting to like because they realize that shit's going to hit the fan soon. But anyway. Yeah. No, I mean, I agree. So, yeah. So the first line is is vaccination required. So it's not required in low risk, medium risk, or high risk. But it is required in the office if it's high plus. So vac- unvaccinated cannot go into the office ex- during a high plus risk rating. Huh. Right. And then... Uh, the okay, second line fired? is, do they get fired from their jobs or just during high? No, okay. That's another ridiculous thing because we're not, we're fully remote essentially. Like you have, we, everyone's working remote. You have the option to go into the office if you want to, but I don't, I, I don't know that anyone's actually doing it. I've not heard of anyone. And you know, especially not if you have to like wear a mask and be vaccinated high plus and whatever. And you you have to like pre-register to go in. And yeah, I don't know. So then the next line is ma- about masks. And then that's divided into if you're vaccinated or not vaccinated. Okay. And if you're uh, vaccinated, masks are optional in low risk or medium risk but required for high and high plus which is the same for if you're not vaccinated except that you're not you can't wear a mask in the office during high plus because you're not allowed in the office at all but it's just so ridiculous many levels what i just Like if, okay, high plus risk, if it's really so high risk, why don't they just tell people not to come into the office? 
Why do they have this? Is it so much higher risk to go during the high plus risk phase to interact with like one or two unvaccinated people in the office? I mean, and then, I mean, obviously I know that it's not, but you know, even just under the logic of these people, but uh and then mask so like if it's high risk or high plus you're wearing a mask because you have to if masks work then what does it matter if you're vaccinated or not if you can go in you wear a mask everyone's safe you're all masked up everyone it's all good well i mean if you want if you want me to like play double what they would probably say it's like they would probably argue that like there's just varying levels of mitigation and and risk tolerance and we're, and we're willing to layer various levels of mitigation on top of other, they always have some like confusing. <laughs> yes. I know the Swiss cheese layers and mitigations. Did I you see the guy know. today that posted that study? I, I do that in strong air quotes about how um, dogs can differentiate the saliva of people with long COVID versus people <laughs> who don't have long COVID. Oh my God. Wait, what was this? <laughs> This guy, I didn't even read the study because I it's retarded and I know it is, and I refuse <laughs> to read it. I don't care. But the stu- the study was dogs can differentiate the saliva of people with long COVID and without long COVID. They're so desperate to prove a physical difference in people with long COVID and people without long COVID because they haven't been able to yet. They haven't been able to find any true physical difference, right? Um, that or, is like just, truly retarded. I'm sorry. I just have to say like, <laughs> what? Like, how, how could you even claim that? Like what? How, I don't first know of, how they even, I don't know how they even know. I also right, like, with like a, no, I mean, how, like, how are you measuring? First of all, if someone has long COVID, is it just that they say they do? Because I mean, there could be any number of di- the dog can just be identifying anxiety or whatever, you know, well, so many that's other like that's, li- that's yeah. literally what I said. I was like, yeah. the dog could literally just be identifying like, yeah, like maybe you have more cortisol. Yeah. If, if you if you're someone who thinks you have long COVID, you're like a more stressed out person. You have more cortisol in your blood or whatever. Like there's easy, like I'm, I, I don't even think I'm very like smart. All the like, sometimes I feel really <laughs> retarded, but I'm like, I immediately see like 90 problems with the study, you know? I know it's ridiculous. People don't even read the, I'm sure they just see the headline and they're like that. It's like about dogs. People love dogs and the dogs are like helping. They're like man's helper identifying the people with long COVID. And it re- reinforces the idea that long COVID is real and like, oh, I'm struggling with long covid maybe my dog can like sniff it and then you know yeah you know i'm also starting to notice like more and more stuff about furries so i'm wondering (laughs) if all of this is some sort of like furry normalization i don't i don't know i'm 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 nervous about where that's going to like i saw this thread today that was like god there's so much to talk about i mean furries are i think kind of i don't know if it'll be like the next one but like they're certainly in the in the pipeline for like the next sort of social justice transhumanist kind of oh totally i mean here's what i found today this this count maybe he blocked me already red dog thing wrote since furries cannot act right lately i did an in-depth art thread to some bulbul meme image circulating around about how cultural appropriation is so cool or something 
I don't, I don't even, I, I read through it. I don't even, I'm not even a hundred percent sure what he, he was, he was castigating. Like if you are a furry and your avatar has dreads, you should be black. I guess that's oh. what I got. Oh. Huh. <laughs> but I was just reading it in shock because I was like, isn't this a sex thing? Like, why are these fucking perverts like all over my like timeline? Like they should be perverted <laughs> in the dark, like everyone else, you know? Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I mean, I think for some people it is a sex thing clearly. Um, but I don't know. I think for some people it's just, ugh, they're emotionally stunted and they have, you know, they want to live in this like alternate fantasy reality and be an animal. And whatever, I know. just, I'm just disgusted. I mean, like, listen, it's not like I don't have like perverted moments or like watch porn or whatever, but I would never discuss it in like a public forum. And I'm like, why are these sick freaks like <laughs> putting it out there for everyone to see? It's like, have a little bit of dignity and like have some shame about your, your sexual perversions. Anyway, it's like, yeah, I mean, look, I'm fine with, I, I think people should be able to do what they want to do. And like, cool, you know, be your freaky self. But yeah, I mean, I just don't need to be like bombarded with like New York Times stories, like telling me how I'm not like doing the work to like, you know, support my furry, you know, (laughs) whatever, you know. Honestly, could you imagine if one of your children... grows up and identifies as a furry i mean i can that that will not happen like that i can tell you it's just not yes i i would not support that but (laughs) like these people are not they're not like coming out of like functional (laughs) emotional psychological environments no it's the same listen i'm i guess i'm gonna i guess i am gonna i'm gonna very lightly touch and then move far away from it but like <laughs> i i have been involved in some like snme things in my life and i don't think it comes from a healthy psychological place i know that i'm like kink shaming right now mm-hmm. but i just think a lot of these things like no one wants to talk about that it's like they're not coming from like a well-adjusted <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, right. No, I mean, they're yeah. coming from these kind of dark places and that's, and it's okay. Like, I'm not saying it's, I don't know. I think it's something you should work on, I guess, but I'm sure that people would find that incredibly regressive of me to say, but that's how I yeah. feel. No, I mean, and I think it's, it's, it's okay, but you know, everyone has copes. We all have some cope plethora of copes that allow us to survive in this horrible decaying (laughs) you know like fucked up traumatizing environment that we live in that we can't escape and that's fine and there's a people there's a spectrum of some people have less copes or healthier copes like exercising or whatever (laughs) but like that's fine but we don't have to spin it as though it's like this essential aspect of our identity that needs to be celebrated and you know it's right that's the thing it's like it's okay for something yeah and like the levels of like whether something's healthy or not vary like ridiculously amongst individuals because obviously it has a lot to do with like your own internal experience but yeah i i agree okay i don't want to get too into this though i just yeah. like i i really please i hope we don't like have a furry flag like next year at pride but 
it furry seems like misinformation. Yeah. yeah, it seems like we're heading toward it. Anyway, uh, I wanted to read this beautiful poem written by one of today's greatest artists before we go into the smoking thing. Um, this is by Tucker Carlson. So I wanted to read it out loud. This is how he opened his show two days ago. And honestly, I, I think he, I really, I'm not even being sarcastic. I'm sure he didn't write this, but whoever wrote it is a genius. <laughs> um, he goes, imagine the pan, this is about Fauci retiring. And there's a picture of Fauci, like the Pope, like dressed <laughs> as the Pope behind him. And he goes, imagine the pandemon- pandemonium at Soul Cycle Studios across the Northeast this morning. When Tony Fauci announced his retirement, ugly doesn't begin to describe it. Picture the chaos, if you can, in the organic chaga aisle at Whole Foods in Brooklyn. Try to envision the panic and hysteria that must have broken out at espresso bars in Edgerton and Aspen and Santa Bar and Santa Monica and Bethesda, as thousands of masked ladies in Lululemon discovered all at once that one religious leader they still revered their own even tinier version of the Dalai Lama had decided to retreat forever from public life. You can picture the carnage, the wailing, the swooning, manicured hands clutched to breasts, then fumbling for Xanax and expensive handbags. Not since the orange man seized the White House in a Russian coup have more 46-year-old Cornell-educated lawyers with weak husbands wept shamelessly in public. (laughs) Isn't that great? Yeah, the last line is good. I think it's so well written. It, it is good. <laughs> anyway. Uh, I know. I mean, I yeah. I don't even, I, I can't imagine caring about Fauci at this point. I guess some people clearly still do. But like, even if you, even if you think he's not like a corrupt egomaniac, like he's 80, however years old, like it's time for him to retire. Yeah, it is. All right, should we All do right. smoking? Yeah, so yeah, I'm going to jump into basically um, attempting to red pill everyone on smoking. So yeah, I mean... Oh, let's, let's be clear about where we stand. I right now smoke sometimes, but still believe it's bad. <laughs> so it's going to like try to red pill me on smoking. That's like what we're doing right Yeah, now. and I mean, I, I'm in a similar position like i'm a i'm a very sometimes smoker i probably i buy a pack of cigarettes and it lasts you know a couple months Um, i would say the same thing i have i have very similar to carrie bradshaw an emergency pack in my drawer at most times and i would say that 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 pack typically lasts me like six months yeah yeah i mean i don't i don't drink so the cigarettes are kind of like my party like vice so that's what if i'm like out with friends or something i'll be like smoking but then other than that i don't really do it so what got me thinking about this is basically like during the whole covid debacle it became clear to me that like the whole public health kind of regime just transparently does not make any sense. Like in COVID, their response to this virus coming out that was like really pretty, you know, a lot less deadly than they were saying and, you know, all this stuff that that was known pretty early on, um, at least as of April 2020. Jay Bhattacharya did that uh, like prevalence study 
and it showed like that way more people had had it and um did not die so anyways um but the, the advice was basically uh don't do anything don't get any physical activity stay home watch netflix have junk food delivered to your house um so don't get any sunshine vitamin d don't exercise just sit tight and wait it out and that kind of just like mentality i realized like applies to basically all, universally to pretty much every like major kind of government initiative so you have like the food pyramid right like the f i think that was the fda that releases the food pyramid and like the food pyramid is idiotic it's terrible like it tells you it tells you to eat like carbs are like the giant like base of the pyramid it tells you to eat like refined <laughs> that's carbs. what i said i feel like the food pyramid is like eat bread <laughs> yeah it is no like no, <laughs> that is what it says and and it uh, and it tells you that like um red meat causes cancer and so, and heart disease that's not true it's like the exact opposite of true um and then another thing being like the horrible vegetable oil that you know and like so uh, you know one of the major risk factors for covid was like obesity and diabetes and stuff they had no recommendations on improving people's diets um really they they honestly I know, that was that was truly one of the most insane parts of it is like why if, if literally one of the biggest risk factors is obesity and i'm saying this as someone who like is currently overweight and like actively trying to lose weight I'm like, there wasn't, not once did I see anywhere on the news, like, no, they just was here, not here, here's some, like, here's some ways to lose like 10 pounds. And even it, if they did, what they likely would have recommended is just not correct. I mean, it's not right. They <laughs> like, everything is saturated with these seed oils. You know, everyone on Twitter is talking about that, but it's true. Like seed oils are literally uh, repurposed industrial byproduct, their machine lubricant that was a pro, uh, like basically leftover from processing like other stuff to make fabric or whatever from like different uh, plants. And they're like, hey, we can try to sell this as food. And so that's what they did. And then uh, the first product was Crisco from Procter and Gamble, and they had a, they basically founded this organization, the American Heart Association, which still exists, and is like a big you know N N uh, NGO kind of player. And they founded this organization, and they came out with guidance that said or research that showed that um, these vegetable oils were healthier for your heart. Than like animal fat saturated fat and whatnot and it's not true it's the exact opposite it's so inflammatory so bad for your heart all this stuff so anyways just another example of like you know the american heart association is giving people advice on basically how to like get a heart attack Okay, so it's better just to understand what's going on here. It would be better for me to cook with like animal lard. Correct. Yes. Than it is for me to cook with vegetable oil. Yes, or absolutely. Like that. Yes. Okay. So like there's good oils, like coconut oil is supposed to be good, um, like saturated fat basically, or butter is good. Um I have heard butter has certainly made a comeback. My yeah. friend, uh one of my my funniest friends the other day was like 
I never bought into the anti-butter thing. And guess what? I can believe it's not butter. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, that, it's, you know what it is? It's vegetable oils. It's yeah. seed oils. <laughs> she was yeah. like, I never, she's very waspy. She was like, I never bought into that shit. Always used real butter. And I was like, yeah, it's good for you. <laughs> right. And then so like another example being like the war on drugs. Okay. The war on drugs makes all these drugs illegal. Uh, basically outsources all the production to these, like, as Trump would say, shithole countries. And then those countries would have, like, democratic um, kind of movements and install new leadership that opposed all the drug stuff. And the U.S., like the CIA, would come in and overthrow them and impose a dictator that allowed all the drug shit. And, like, they would use the drug money to fund the government. And then we know that the CIA from like the uh, Gary Webb's like Dark Alliance series in the 90s, that the CIA was at best turning a blind eye to, but more likely facilitating the sale of drugs from Nicaragua to fund the contra revolution there that was part of the iran contra thing. well and isn't it like essentially tr- i mean i just i'm basing this off ozark again i'm a retarded faggot sometimes but i watched <laughs> i watched all of ozark and literally like a part of that show is like discussing how the u.s government gets paid from running this drug war yes and do. how that's like and like how that's like the primary motive because all these people's jobs depend on this like drug war being existing to begin with and they have these sort of like deals with these drug lords which we call them drug lords but really they're <laughs> just like they're just like ceo executive like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and they have these like deals with them and the whole and everyone is pretty much everyone's benefit the only people getting screwed are you know the people that are being killed and the violence that was created by the drug war itself. Yes. Well, and then, then they profit on the back end too, because all the drugs are being sold in the States and uh, enforcement is not even it's focused primarily on these like inner city, like poor neighborhoods basically. And so they, all those people get thrown in jail where they're the, you know, elites can make money off that from the for-profit prisons. Oh, totally. I mean, so, yeah. I, yeah. I, I, did you see that that really funny? Like, it wasn't funny at all. Actually, it's that's actually. This is something I felt like very like. I was like with the libs on this. People got really pissed at this guy who posted how he like became a millionaire by thirty by basically like investing in for-profit prisons. Oh god! And he like put that all over Twitter, like like as if like this is my LinkedIn advice, you know. <laughs> And I, like people got really mad, and I was—I I, mean, it's good advice, probably, but yeah, but he should go to. I was like, you should go to fucking prison. Like, I fucking hated him. I was like, yeah. what? Ass? Like, how could you possibly think that? Anyway, whatever. I mean, that's the game. That is the game. Whether you I still have like the heart. I, I I have the heart of a liberal still. Like, you know, the heart of a liberal. Like, I still feel pain at people's pain. Uh, right. <laughs> no, I agree. Like, Making money so directly off people's pain is disgusting. Anyway, okay, how does this all tie into Yeah, yeah, yeah. So basically, all these are just examples of like the government and elites being just completely fake and gay and not working in people's best interests. So then, I, I don't know, for some reason, I just like started thinking about smoking and like the Biden stuff and you know how he's like banning or like making, banning menthols and like 
reducing the nicotine in cigarettes and all this, which is which is stupid anyways. But um, yeah, and it was like their super racist campaign that they had to ban menthols to save black people. Oh my god, dude. I couldn't think of anything like more racist to say, like so ridiculous. Yeah. So so I was like, okay, well, this is weird because like ostensibly here's the government like doing a a quote unquote good thing. We're like legitimately seeming to be in public health interests, you know, if cigarettes are really so bad for everyone. Um, And that just kind of got me suspicious. In addition to just this idea, like it's so universal, like everyone, like if you say, um, you know, what's like the one thing that like everyone agrees is just absolutely horrible for you and you shouldn't do it. And you're a bad person if you do it. Smoking. right cigarettes or yeah. hard drugs I guess. right yeah so that that all just in this like post-covid environment set off some alarms anyways i encountered this essay called it's um i love the title it's called smoke lies and the nanny state um it was written in 2007 by this musician joe jackson um who probably most people only know for his like one hit which was is she really going out with him? Is she really gonna take him home tonight? Anyways, okay. apparently he's based, um, even though that's sort of like an incel anthem kind of vibe. But and he wrote this dope essay, and um, it it was super interesting. Not only because it seems to debunk a lot of the like prevalent myths about smoking but because even though it was written in 2007 it is like so prescient for the covid moment um in so many different ways like um just as an example like he calls out basically um the the second hand the idea of secondhand smoke as okay. completely fake basically there's like no re- and I'll get into that more there's not really any research that strongly supports the idea that secondhand smoke can kill people. Or I'm guessing them. that means thirdhand smoke is also fake. <laughs> yes. Have you heard of that? Yes, I've heard of that. That's but... like picking your child up after you've had I've after you've, smoked... you've had you've had a cigarette nowhere near your child. <laughs> yeah. Like you've got like residue on your clothes. Yeah, you got like residue on your fingers or something. Yeah. Yeah, and so, but he, but he calls out. He basically realizes that these like public health goons needed a way so that it wasn't like smoking was just a personal risk but that it was actually like a a risk to others and in like the same way as covid so it's like not wearing a mask for example it's not it's not like because you're afraid of your own risk it's because you don't want to harm other people you know your mask protects me my mask protects you or whatever totally and that's still the shame mechanism being used with covid to this day right Right. So um, I'm just going to honestly like read some of this shit and we can like talk about it. But it's just so interesting. Such a good essay. I recommend everyone read it. It's just super interesting. But so he says, sometime in the late 1990s, I arrived in Los Angeles. As my taxi pulled out of the airport, I was confronted with by a huge red billboard. Secondhand smoke kills. I thought even heavy smokers take several decades to develop lung cancer. Surely a non-smoker, even regularly exposed to smoke in the air, would have to live to about 300 to catch up. And how exactly would you know it was the smoke that killed them as opposed to, say, the appalling L.A. smog? 
the great thing about the smoking related disease is that it allows you to create the perception of a raging epidemic. The UK government, he's British, I guess, and he lives in Berlin now because he feels that that's like one of the only places that isn't totally cucked. But um, I don't know about now. But anyways, he says the UK government says that 100,000 or 120,000 deaths per year are caused by quote unquote smoke related disease. The impression given is that these are all deaths specifically and provably caused by smoking. But it is no such thing. It includes non-smokers who die of bronchitis or strokes and smokers who die of heart attacks in their 80s. It includes people who quit smoking decades before. It is not exactly lying, but it is deliberately misleading. It is fear-mongering. And in my opinion, these people should be ashamed of themselves. So to me, that just sounded like so exactly like COVID. Like they're counting these number of people who essentially tested positive at the time that they died, but they could be mostly they're like these 80 year olds and whatnot who like. So he's not arguing that smoking is not bad for you. Like it's objectively bad for you to inhale. Well, this is, this is one, this is one, this is just the beginning. (laughs) Okay. All right. So I understand his point. Like, the way they're tallying, that makes sense. And I believe mm-hmm. that. Like the way they're tallying the numbers is they're just like, all these people are being included in this group of people who quote unquote die of smoking every year. Mm-hmm. But many of them at the at least uh, should not be included in that. Yeah. Or they may have died from reasons totally unrelated as to smoking, but they're counted as a smoking death or they would have died anyways, you know, they were 80 and they died. I mean, that's, you've got to die at some point. So even if you, there's you also know. people who smoke their whole lives and, and die like super old. Yeah, exactly. So I mean, my grandpa who is still alive, literally 97 smoked for like 40 years. Right. Right. <laughs> so that's, I wonder if he died now, if they'd say it was because of smoking. Right, well, they, according to the, yeah, I mean, they, <laughs> they might, if they had in his medical records or something that he was a smoker, you know, he quit smoking 40 years ago, but they try to say <laughs> his 97 year old death is because of smoking. <laughs> anyway. So that's, that's, that is the sort of shit that's happening though. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And so he says, I want to further explore the bigger picture later in this essay. But what I'm suggesting here is that anti-smokers are, among other things, using tobacco as a scapegoat for health problems, which have much more to do with diet and other factors. Okay. Um, <clears throat> so, so far I'm with him. Yeah. And I do agree that Amer- most Americans diets, it's really hard for them not to be are horrific. And he so this is how he opens the essay for that, that, that stuff I was quotes I pulled just to frame it, but he opens it with for thousands of years in the Americas and about 500 years, pretty much everywhere else, tobacco has been a friend to mankind. It has been used to relax, to stimulate and to treat various ailments. It has been a vital part of rituals, both social and spiritual. It has been used as currency. Whole communities have been founded on it including arguably the United States. Wait a minute, scratch that. Smoking is a vile, filthy habit that will almost inevitably kill you. No one smokes willingly. They're simply pathetic addicts duped by evil tobacco companies. Tobacco is a plague which must be wiped out. And he says, 
Like most people these days, I was more inclined up until a few years ago to believe the second paragraph than the first. I was a very moderate smoker and almost gave up, but something about the sheer hysteria of the anti-smoking movement and the various holes and contradictions in their arguments made me suspicious. So, um, <laughs> all right. So then he gets into experts. And so is that, okay, is that first part true as far as you've researched, like, smoking is a north american drug tobacco yeah that's where it was like originally cultivated and like and when and when colonizers our ancestors came here they discovered uh tobacco and that's how it reached europe brought it to europe and asia and all okay got it uh yeah it must have been fun those first europeans you know taking that first hit (laughs) oh yeah hell yeah no i mean (laughs) Yeah, I mean, back in the day, that was everything. I mean, opium, you know, the opium, cocaine, and uh, yeah. tea, and all that. You know, um, they were you know, they were down. You know, um, so all right, so he gets into experts, which again, like another just ridiculous thing of the COVID era that he demonstrates like was was a big problem even before that so he says uh i believe to put i believe that we have to put our faith in someone and that as our faith in political and religious leaders have declined we have not only become excessively reverent towards doctors and scientists but increasingly willing to allow them to dictate our lifestyles and laws health is seen as an unqualified good who can be against health likewise science is equated with integrity and certainty it has become our religion. So, like, can you believe that was written before COVID? No, I mean, it echoes, yeah. Yeah. Totally. Um, it, so- it really echoes when even left-leaning people began to, yeah, resist kind of the way COVID was being handled. Mm-hmm. It sounds very similar. Mm-hmm says, unfortunately, there's little precious little genuine science to be found in the pronouncements of media pundits and politicians. Instead, we're fed a steady diet of junk science, facts out of context and out of proportion, insubstantial claims based on dubious methodology and clever games with statistics. Um, each the average politician or newspaper editor tends to promote whatever science suits his or her prejudice or agenda. Um, yeah, I think it's interesting because smoking like COVID is an easy target because there's a lot of people who just don't like the smell of smoke. That, uh, that's, right. that's, a real, yeah. that's a real thing. And no one loves having a cold. Like, right. These are like actual things that most people or a lot. Not, I mean, no one loves having a cold. Some people like smoking, but some people really, really, really don't. So right. I don't know. It's interesting. It's an easy thing to grab onto, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. And so he says, I'm getting to the smoking issue, but I believe it's essential to start off by pleading for a much more skeptical attitude towards health authorities. Um, and not to mention people who use health as window dressing for their agendas. I'm also trying to disentangle emotional prejudice and fashion from reason. So. Interesting. Yeah. Do you know what it reminds me of? Just like, just up to this part, it reminds me of the school debates 
when mm-hmm. a lot of like lefty kind of like middle class people began to wonder what the fuck was going on with the schools. And the argument was kids need to stay home uh, because they, for their health, uh-huh. there are actually, I mean, I don't know, again, every study you have to really delve deep to figure out what the fuck is going on. But there are a lot of studies, I guess, out there that show that missing a significant amount of school, like lowers someone's life expecting expectancy significantly. <laughs> you oh, know what I mean? So, yeah. So it's like you're you're keeping the kids out of school, like ostensibly for their health, but you're also like doing this other thing that's... <laughs> yes, yes, exactly. Like, it's one like, side of the equation and you're presenting but, it as the whole picture. Right, and you're not you're not kind of balancing these two different like possibilities and really looking at like where the greater risk is. Whereas we, we have actually, I mean, many decades of studies. Again, you have to look at all of them. You have to be very skeptical, but we have many decades of studies on kids who drop out of school and what happens to them, you know? Right. And we have like very short amount of time of studies on COVID. On like what happens when kid gets a cold and basically they're fine. Yeah. Yeah. So. Anyway. Okay. I'm with you so far, but that's, these are just my thoughts as you go through it. As yeah. I'm first, as I'm first exposed to this material, <laughs> I'm thinking about. So now we're going into where he's talking about like the actual kind of data on like the risks. Um, and so he starts off with cancer. He says lung cancer is the most strongly associated with smoking is the disease most strongly associated with smoking. Though even even this is a statistical rather than causative link. In other words, it's been statistically shown that smokers are more likely to get lung cancer rather than scientifically shown that cancer is specifically caused by smoking. The general consensus seems to reflect basically the findings of this one um, professor, Sir Richard Dahl, from the 50s and 60s, which he uh, says are still regarded as like the, the... benchmark of what's like the data is today. It says um, he reckoned that about 160 in 100,000 smokers developed lung cancer as opposed to seven in 100,000 non-smokers. Okay. So you have about a 24 times greater risk if you smoke. And he says this can also be expressed as 2,400%, but be aware of estimates of increased risk, especially when expressed in percentages they're a good sign that someone is trying to frighten rather than inform you. Um, and that's another COVID thing where like, I remember the, with the Bangladesh mask study, this was like the opposite. It was a risk reduction. And they said, which is then this is shit regardless, but it was like uh, the, the masking cohort um, had a t- 11% reduction in um, risk. And so you think, oh, 11%. I mean, it's not like a huge amount, but that's something. But really, that was in a reduction in absolute risk or uh, relative risk and not an absolute risk. The absolute risk reduction was about 1%. So it was like 8% of the population got uh, COVID in the unmasked cohort and then 7% got COVID in the mass cohort. So they're saying the difference between 8% and 7% is 11% but they use a bigger number, right? You know? (laughs) So anyways, 
I understand essentially what you're saying. You have to understand I'm a writer, so I'm like yeah, bad at math. I'm like bad at math, but I'm I, I'm following along up to this point. Yeah. So, but this is the point is this is what they always use like the whatever statistics sound will make the most impact for as far as the point that they're trying to drive home. Um, statistics always present one version of reality while leaving out many others. For instance, anti-smokers increased risk estimates leave out the fact that a majority of lung cancers happen within or beyond the normal range of death. In other words, if lung cancer is going to get you, it'll probably do so around the time when something is going to get you, whether you smoke or not. There are also many contradictory statistics out there for those who care to look. For example, Native Americans have half the rate of lung cancer of white Americans, even though they smoke much more. Very few Chinese women smoke, and yet they have one of the highest lung cancer rates in the world. Lung cancer rates have practically been rising practically everywhere since about 1930, and in some cases, for example, American women have not peaked yet, despite the fact that these smoking rates have gone steadily down. Interesting. So the next one is heart disease. And um, he says heart disease was one of the first um, diseases identified as related to smoking, um, even though it has something like 300 risk factors. And some major studies, for instance, this one in Massachusetts, which has been going on since 1948 have not shown have have shown not only that the link with smoking is weak but that moderate smokers have less heart disease than non-smokers. Interesting. This is like the weird thing that I've always read and I I don't know why this would be true but that people who drink moderately have less heart disease than people who don't drink at all or people who drink heavily. Yes. And and even then, you can't necessarily specifically associate that to the moderate drinking or the moderate smoking. It's just a it's a correlation. So it could be that people right. who are I mean and, and that's yeah, and that's where the fear-mongering, yeah, that's where the fear-mongering comes in hardcore. Like I saw this this post the other day that was like long COVID doesn't mean anything or something like that. And then it like listed all these viruses, you know, like Epstein-Barr and herpes and like all these different things. And it was like long, 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 whatever, long Epstein-Barr is like paralysis or long herpes is Alzheimer's. And they're just talking about these like correlative, like, uh, yeah, they're talking about these like minor correlations and they're trying to say like it has caused this. Yes. Which is, um, I think people really misunderstand correlation and cause. Right. In, in order to to demonstrate especially causality. Because, especially because diseases are, sorry, I don't mean to, I'll, I'll stop after no, this. No, 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 go on. Especially because diseases are so complex and the reason people get them are so complex and it's very rarely a single you know, thing like something like lung cancer or Alzheimer's or heart disease or any of these like diseases of old age, you know, it's like a cumulative thing. Like there's many factors that lead to these things, which is why they're hard to like do anything about, you know? No, I mean, that's exactly right. And that's exactly what I was going to say is like, theoretically, like, you know, according to the scientific method or whatever, the only way you can like prove causality is is by isolating the variable that you're testing. 
So you'd have to design some study where like, you, you know, everyone was like exactly the same, basically, but for the amount that they smoke. And then you could, but if, if you can't do that, which none of these studies really can, you cannot get anything more than correlation. They'd have to eat the same amount. They'd have to drink the same amount. They'd have to eat the same things. Exactly. Have the same job, the same amount of exercise, you know, I mean. Right have had the same amount of children or whatever. They'd yeah. have to really like line everything up. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Interesting. Um, okay. And that, that's another point that actually related to COVID with um, specifically like the vaccine efficacy um, where they'd have like these study and this is, they've done this with like flu vaccines and everything too, where they'll say like, they'll have some group, they'll, they'll look at data from over a certain period and they'll say, well, the mortality rate was higher in the unvaccinated group. But like, look at the difference in the populations between vaccinated and unvaccinated for the most part. Like vaccinated are like wealthy, generally kind of like upper middle class, urban, you know, people. And unvaccinated are like rural, I mean, you know, I'm generalizing, but like at a population level tend to be like, you know, more working class, rural um uh cohort that is like much yeah, lack access lack access to like health insurance or yes e- eating bad food working more like physically demanding jobs and and it's it's been proven that like there's a you know they call it like the rural mortality problem or something that like there's just much higher overall rates of mortality in like rural communities so it, it just showing was- that yeah, sorry, doesn't yeah. doesn't prove that the vaccine is more effective. It's just saying that the populations that get the vaccine are different. <laughs> I think that has to be caused by some horrific societal thing that we did, because I, I just I feel like it's much more natural <laughs> probably to live in rural spaces. Oh, yeah. Well, it's because we've impoverished. There's no jobs really that are good. You know, right. it's it's poverty, essentially. I yeah, we've made it so like being in or near a city is like essential to yeah making money. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. so yeah, um, you're red pilling me. I'm getting it. Yeah, I mean the problem is is like it just makes me feel like I'm gonna have to like sift through like every like so many studies to like understand anything, and that's like so daunting for someone like me because. I, I feel kind of like a libtard in the sense that like, I do just want to like trust like educated people to like, give me good advice. Like I, yeah, I like, my you can't general, do that. I, I know. I know. I can't, but like, I like my general care practitioner. And you know, what's uh-huh. interesting though? Like I feel like on a person to person level, most doctors are actually like every doctor or nurse or PA that I know, and it, it not, it's not like I know a ton, but I know, you know, I know as probably as many as anyone does, was much chiller, much chiller about COVID than people I know who were out of the medical community, which I found just on an individual, like mm-hmm. just on like a, like, like not, not people I saw on TV, just people I talked to. Right, right. Know? Yeah. And I think it's because they're sort of like desensitized to like people die every day. You know, my one friend who's a doctor, she's like, I'm a general care doctor for the VA. Like, Mm -hmm. yeah, I mean, (laughs) I think it varies. Honestly, I think I've seen a lot of, a lot of the doctors that I know are like really pushing the vaccines and stuff. And 
everything these like aren't that. Tw- i mean these are people you personally know i'm not like yeah. this like, these people i'm talking about are like not twitter doctors these are people i interact no with i agree i'm talking about the doctors that i that i know too although our yeah. pediatricians are really good and they're actually kind of based like one of them actually got in trouble um in covid because her she's a mom and she sent her kid to school without a mask and uh and that got a lot of backlash because well, my like doctor, a doctor friend my doctor friend i'm talking about is not getting her kids vaccinated oh she wow thinks, she thinks the risk of like she thinks the vaccine the risk of the vaccine is like worse than the risk of covid and that both and she thinks both are extremely low risk but she's like for children it's like both these things are so low risk like why would i vaccinate well why would i give them any extra vaccine for something so low risk to them yeah. You know? Yeah. No, I mean, that's, I, 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 yeah, it doesn't, obviously it doesn't make any sense to do I that. I mean, she's always like pointing out like risk, you know, she's like, uh, she always tells me like, you know, birth control is actually terrible for women. If you look at a lot of studies, mm-hmm. it's really bad for them, but she's like, the reason we give it to them is because birth control is technically less bad for risky for women than a pregnancy mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah well so and they like, want it they don't want to get pregnant and right, they, they should be aware pregnant. of the risk and if they accept the risk they should be able to do it i mean that you know of course but she was just like that's something that like i she's like that's something i never hear anyone talk about is like how bad birth control actually is for you but she's like we're weighing it against the risk of like a pregnancy not you know right not just like not taking birth control. Not taking it or taking yeah. it. Like we're weighing it against the risk of like taking it or getting pregnant. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, all right. Is there so, what else? Yeah. That, what so, I mean, I've got to kind of wrap it up fairly soon. I know. But... I felt that. So, I mean, okay. So, I think the main takeaways that I'm getting from this, and this is going to be a big theme in our podcast, is just that like, it's really easy to manipulate statistics. Yes. Well, okay. And I just want to add one last thing, which on second smoke, which he basically totally debunks, like regardless of what you think about, like smoking yourself, um, he, the, what he, his, he, he shows that like, there's basically no evidence showing that second hand smoke harms anyone. And it doesn't make any sense. He says there's, um, 147 total studies like analyzing um, secondhand smoke. And of those, only 24 show any risk increase. Okay. And then he um, basically analyzes the different studies and shows that like the highest quality studies show no impact. So it's like only the sort of cherry picked ones that few minority that, um, that show that there's any like increased risk associated with like secondhand smoke. Um, and he goes, I mean, he goes into it in a lot more detail than I do here. But the other thing that I, that I liked about what he talks about is just that he, he emphasized, like he talks about that. It's not just like this risk vector. Like it's also something pleasurable that like adds something positive to people's lives in some case, you know, if you enjoy it, and so it's right. like um, he vo- views it almost as like bullying, like the government bullying and just like not wanting to ev- ha- anyone to have any fun or pleasure in their life and just like making you feel like guilty and like putting like health on this weird pedestal, even though they're like only promoting health in so far as it like advances like sp- certain specific agendas. 
Right, because they don't get rid of like they don't do anything to fast food companies, which are horrific. Yes, like, yes, yeah. It's like yeah, and then weirdly, I mean, this I know we have to wrap this up, but like weirdly, it's like you know something's going on with weed. Yeah, right, uh, right. Why like, is weed good? It's still inhaling yeah, smoke like, in your like, lungs. Now it's like suddenly like weed is really good, and, and I, I don't smoke. Know. I mean, I'm a you know I'm not anti weed either, but it's like how can, it's so <laughs> inconsistent to be like weed good, cigarettes bad. Yeah, there's something there that we have to figure out because I, I got to get to the bottom of why it's suddenly fine to like smoke drugs in the street. <laughs> because like, Honestly, like, I know the reason. And it's because people like the governor of Illinois, J.B. Pritzker, are billionaires and they own all these dispensaries and shit and they want to get rich. And also it makes you want to sit your ass at home and watch Netflix <laughs> and eat seed oil. Yes. No, <laughs> no joke. Like that is it. That is why. I love me so yeah seed oils when you're high the best um all right well I'll uh, let's wrap it up bye everyone all right see y'all later take it sleazy